Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. What can you do when you're not feeling safe, when you're confronted and not feeling safe with maybe a boss or a colleague, somebody's getting in your face or somebody's triggering you? What can you do? Well, for me, it depends on what level of safe or not safe. You know, if it's just any emotional safety, I'm um, cautious with my words. Uh, it's a, if it's a physical safety, I, you know, put space there, you know, so um, and bring in other people for sure. Uh, so it, on a very general level, that's where my thoughts go initially. Yeah, that's good. Like you broke that down. So yeah, whatever level of safety, you know, you, you want to think about somebody's uh, in your space and you're uncomfortable. What do you do? What can you say? What actions can you take? I think I'm like Cindy, but I'll, I'll create the space and probably leave the space and put myself in a safer place. Oh yeah, but it always depends, right? Because sometimes I'll feel confident enough to confront the person. It kind of depends where it is. Okay. Well, let's say you're confident in this, in a scenario and you're feeling confident. What would you do? How would you confront the person? I think I, uh, oh, it's so tough. <laughs> <laughs> These imaginary scenarios are tough when they're, when they're I know. happening. The answer always starts, well, it depends. Some of the techniques that I have used is uh, change the, um, change the topic. Um, when you feel like um, you, the conversation is going down a rabbit hole, it's not going anywhere at all, you know, like gently, and gently change that topic, like move away from it, go to something productive, see if they'll come along. Most of the times they will. I think if I feel too much um, resistance, I guess it, it depends on how fast it culminates. But yeah, most of the times, you know, we can move to a different topic and, and you know, you can say that in a nice way, like, Thank you for your input. Let's, you know, park this for a minute and let's go over here. Mm -hmm. I think like what Cindy said, if there's emotion involved, um, I think that is much harder to do. And then I try to have the, the consciousness, the knowledge to say, this is probably not the right time and place to talk about it. And, and, you know, let's, you know, let's part ways at this point and let's come back together in five minutes tomorrow, whenever it would be. That's good. You described uh, what I refer to as pattern interrupts, right? Mm -hmm. Some somebody's energy is all coming at you, so it's like, okay, let's divert this to something or some other topic. Let's talk about something else. Oh, by the way, while you're here, <laughs> I've been wanting to ask you this question. That's good, Vera. What else? What else? I have been in a situation where I've flatly said, "I'm feeling very uncomfortable," and I'm I believe it. Um, especially in my previous relationship, I felt unsafe numerous times and I would 
leave the house. Like I would just go away. And I'd come back later when I, you know, felt that things were diffused. I never used to be able to say, I'm feeling uncomfortable or I feel like you're in, you're in my space and that's making me feel uncomfortable. But I can now. And that's been very helpful. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's it. Is that, I like you using the word uncomfortable versus unsafe. Yeah. And I just wonder if, um, if you're in a space, uh, in a work, work environment, I know you're talking about your relationship, but imagine a work environment, all you hear, who are here right now are working towards self-awareness, right? We're, we're just, it's a journey for us. Your colleagues may not be. If you go to them and say, I'm feeling unsafe versus uncomfortable. How would they approach that? Would that create a better space for you to have a conversation? I find saying I'm unsafe would trigger something like, what do you think I'm going to do? Hit you? Right. Um, whereas uncomfortable, like can, it's not a confrontational kind of word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were saying that, even even my feelings change when you were saying uncomfortable versus unsafe. Mm -hmm. So how would you manage that? Uh, this is a question for all of you. How would you manage that in, in a work environment when you start imagine your your superior or your colleague making you uncomfortable in a conversation and you want to step away, change topic, or say you're feeling uncomfortable? What what are some of the options you have at that point? I think we all have some go-to people and it doesn't always have to be a boss. Uh, it could be somebody in a different department that you feel comfortable and safe uh, with, right? And so you find a person that can be a sounding board uh, to you um, because they can probably help you see maybe a different perspective, maybe because you were the one already suffering from tunnel vision. And that made you uncomfortable or unsafe, right? Because especially like what you say, Sue, is, is I recognize that too. Like if I stay unsafe, I've been in situations where somebody would come at me. It's like, do you think I'm going to hit you or hurt you? Or something? It's like, no, 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 that's not where I want it to go. But, you know, we're now triggering each other. So it's like, it's mm -hmm. time to walk away from that conversation. But I think, yeah, finding that sounding board and see, listening, if there's another perspective you should listen to take into account. Yeah. You know, it just came up right there when you're saying that, Vera, is that you may feel unsafe or uncomfortable and they just think it's a normal conversation. Yeah. Right. They're just like going on having the conversation because, you know, they're, they're, they're on a mission and want to get things done and you're feeling something. Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect in that between the two of you at this point. Mm -hmm. And you could go down a rabbit hole of feeling unsafe, uncomfortable, and you're not even thinking about the, the task at hand at this point. When you bring up a really great point there, Licky, because when we think in terms of the relationships, communication, and, you know, just the, all the blind spots in everything we're talking about, temperament differences, sometimes there's no ill will on the other person, but we're dealing with something. And so, you know, first thing we'd have to do is get to a place where we feel safe, even though there's not an unsafe atmosphere technically, because they're not trying to be you know, in your place, in your face, then we start asking those questions like, why am I feeling this? What's really going on? Right. Is this me? Is this something I just need? Am I being triggered? 
why am I being triggered? What's the call? What's the root of that trigger? Right. Yeah. So there is, there is that side of this, right? That's what I was going to say. Vera hit the nail on the head when she said triggered, because there's <laughs> lots of stuff that I, and I'm sure getting better, but in my young adulthood, there were so many things that would trigger me <laughs> and I'd be, you know, back into something from my childhood for heaven's sakes. Mm -hmm. um, and the person would just be like, you know, they're fine. Nothing really is wrong, but I had been triggered. Yeah. Yeah. I just went through that in an interview situation where we interviewed candidates for a position. And there was one candidate, it was interview number three. And I just got triggered. It's like, what is good? So I just talked with one person about it. And they're like, wow, that's interesting. And then we had a, a, a debrief of all the interviews. And I, you know, I asked for feedback from the other people. Turned out I wasn't the only one. <laughs> oh. And I was like, you know, it was still a trigger. I do recognize that. But it was obvious that this person was showing these traits that would just not fit in our team and other people picked up on it. So it was kind of a, you know, a validation of my feeling, but still knowing that I had a trigger there. So Vera, was it a trigger or was it instinct? Ooh, that's a good one. Mm, great question. Those are so close. I have to think about that one. I like that question. <laughs> well, and, and to your question, Sue, um, Let's think in terms of triggers being not neither good nor bad. They're just information, right? It's uh, something's going on here. I remember vividly being five years old and being woken up at like wee hours of the morning by my dad saying, Hey, come on, we're going to the Palisades park in New Jersey. It's a amusement park. That's no longer there. And I was triggered. I was super excited, right? Like, so that the positive trigger. I mean, you know, triggers are neither good, you know, positive or negative. They're just information to say, what's going on? What am I feeling? Do you Why think that maybe a, <clears throat> the difference between a trigger and an instinct could be a you problem or not necessarily a problem, but a you thing rather than a them thing? Because a instinct would be something about them, <clears throat> whereas a trigger is something about you. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, I like that's a distinction. Good question. So imagine you're the leader or you're creating that unsafe space or uncomfortable space without you knowing about it. How can you start becoming aware of that? What's occurring for the other person in front of you that you can start noticing? We could make like you did, Licky, when you asked other people for feedback of how you presented yourself in a room. Yeah. How do I come across? Especially if you notice that people are a little bit shying away from you. Be direct, but be prepared for the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta ask the question, you gotta be yeah. answer. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Any, any other uh, ideas on that? Well, for me, I always ask about if it's not a pre-scheduled meeting and we're just encountering each other, just checking to make sure it's an okay time to talk, you know, and that they have time, you know, and then you're not just squeezing it into 30 seconds, um, especially if it's a more crucial conversation kind of thing where you have sensitive topics or whatever. So just so they can prepare their mind to be present in that time. Yeah. As you were saying that, what comes up for me, Kevin, is 
the temperaments, right? People different people have different temperaments, different styles. And if they're under stress, they may not be aware of their style or where they're going in their blind spot at that point. Yeah, it's 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 easier to manage our behaviors, right? Manage our emotions, manage, you know, how we interact with others when we're not under stress. But when we're under stress, <laughs> a lot of these tips and strategies go right out the window if we're not paying attention, right? If we're not, uh, like we, we like to say, if we're not aware in the moment, you know, you can be self-aware, but if you're not aware in that moment, you're still going to have some hindsight going, hmm, I could have done better. But yeah, temperaments are a big part of this too. It reminds me of a, a story my dad told me years ago. He, uh, in fact, he just brought it up recently at my birthday party. He was really great at what he did as a manager for these larger companies. But uh, when he got promoted and hired away by Honeywell, his boss at Honeywell basically said, Jim, he said, you're brilliant. You got to need a lot of work with people. Mm -hmm. So they literally sent him like a week-long Dale Carnegie course back in New York or something like that, which she said revolutionized his life. But the story that he shared is uh, along these lines was he was giving lots of assignments, projects, just kind of dropping stuff off in this one person's desk get her done kind of thing and didn't realize the temperament difference until after he learned about it. And then once, cause he was ready to fire this person cause they were just never, they wouldn't feed back information to him. They wouldn't get the project done on time. There was just this issue. And turns out in hindsight that after he learned this person's temperament was they were intimidated by my dad and he, the way he came across was sort of bullying. It was just. He was very direct, very, you know, confident and, uh, and came across too strong for this person. As soon as he changed his, you know, he's the one that took the onus to adapt. And as soon as he adapted, that person became a great employee. They, they learned how to work together better and communicate more effectively, but there is temperament. That's just part of it sometimes. And sometimes it's nothing more than that. We just aren't aware. You know, what you just said that Kevin, if I just bottom line, it's up to us to be aware and make the shift because you want things to change. Uh, you know, Gandhi says, hey, you want to see change, be the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, starts, starts with us for sure. Yeah. And sometimes it's really all about us. <laughs> and it's not the other person. It depends, it depends how you take that. It depends how you take that. Like, yeah, no, but sometimes, it is. Like, I mean, sometimes my conflicts are really just me. I just got to step yeah. back and go, okay, all right. I'm the one here. I got to work on that. I got to work on this trigger. Or I've got something from my past that's haunting me. And it's not the other person at all. Other, sometimes it is the other person. Either way, we've got to figure out what are the strategies and techniques that we can use to diffuse those moments, regardless whose issue it really is, right? If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program. I think the challenge might be how quickly you can identify. You can always say it's the other person. It's how you interact with that person that matters. 
but it's how quickly you can assess what that person needs. Is this a longstanding relationship? Is this, uh, I just walked in the room and I'm getting, you know, someone who's got his back up, her back up to me. You know, what is the relationship there? Because sometimes it's easy after a time, like you mentioned your father and a longstanding relationship, you can sort of stop and debrief. Whereas if it's, I just went into that board meeting and I don't know this person, but now all of a sudden, I feel like there's some sort of opposition. So it's kind of a, kind of depends on where you're at in the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's uh, play in that for a minute, Joel. is let's use that boardroom example. Let's just say you don't really have a, a relationship. You don't know this person very well. You, you work together in some capacity, but very loosely because you're not, you haven't had a chance to build a relationship and they're the ones that are causing if i can say they're the stimuli for whatever it is you're feeling as far as that unsafe feeling what with that level of, of lack of relationship what can you do what what strategies might we employ when we don't know the other person very well but we still want to protect our boundaries well if, if you're asking me in my case i think when i'm thinking about a situation like that that would have happened to me i i would sort of revert to um at that moment not trying to Get a deeper understanding of the person but sticking to the facts like just giving giving what they need in terms of information and waiting to see how they react to it and not not trying to joke or not trying to you know get to know them but just sort of giving them exactly what it is that's asked and then eventually getting to a where are they in terms of whether there's a there's a personality thing or something about them as you were saying that what comes up again is temperament some board members just may be very detail-oriented. All they want is details. And some just want to be told the big story about what's happening out there. And some are just like, get to the point. I just want to hear this. And some are really quiet. Yeah, the biggest challenges is when you're in, the you're in a room and there's all of those things in the room. <laughs> yeah. And you've got someone rolling their eyes because giving the story to the other person or you're giving data someone who doesn't care about the data and just wants to know the story or whatever. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's typically what a board would look like in my experience is that you've got all of that in a room. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, as, uh, as we've done some training for executives and uh, even in sales, you have to address all styles in a presentation in a different way. You don't have to, you know, if you can balance the, the presentation in, in a way that every style gets to be heard and felt like they're, they're seen, then you can say it's a good conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but in your, in your world, uh, we have, I understand that the board members are not always uh, the friendliest. They, they want to get things done really fast. So uh, you know, we understand that. So you're going to have to really understand their temperaments, what, what they want, and allow yourself that safety zone for yourself. Uh, being aware that you're being triggered, it's not, they're going to be who they are. It's how you manage your emotions and how you manage going forward in that, in that spot. Because the moment we lose control, all others will see that. One of the things I learned at my previous employer was they had this thing called bottom line up front. So like in your email, you, you always had to have a, a title, but then your first thing was, here's why I'm reaching out. And you put right there what it was. And that way, so those people who need to have the information right up front, 
they have it. They, they, the people that just want the details or why this is important or why are you bothering me with an email? You know, this is why I'm telling you. And then you went into all the other details. So the people who did want the story or wanted the detail, the rest of it was there. But if they didn't want to read beyond that, you at least got that those key points right there at the very beginning. So it was kind of a weird way to think through things. And I had to relearn communication with that. But when you're reaching out to a group of people with a bunch of different styles, it really, I found it very helpful. So I, that's all. And it, presentations were done the same way. You would start a presentation with, okay, here's the key point and then <laughs> go into the rest of it. Nice. You just reminded me uh, way back in the day, a college uh, newspaper, but the way that I understood, I think I was taught to write journalism was to do just that. The very first paragraph, the very first sentence in the paragraph explains it all. And then you start unpacking in the story, right? And so I don't know, you know, as a energizer slash competitor, that's how I read the news, right? One sentence, one paragraph max, unless I'm really, really interested in all the details, then I'll read the whole article. Otherwise, I'm good. I got to figure it out. I know what's going on, right? Whereas other styles, are they, they want all the details. So, but I do love that. What, what was the title of that? Or what, what it was Bottom Line Up Front. Bottom Line. So Bluff. Bluff. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. I like that. And uh, to join all into your, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I said, just get to the point. I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So back to your point, like into a Joyelle scenario, this idea of temperaments also comes into play in any meeting, right? A board meeting, sales meeting, you know, a weekly meeting at the office, whatever it is. And it's incumbent upon the leader of the meeting to be aware of the different temperaments and to really selectively manage and facilitate that conversation. Because you'll have temperaments that are like, like you said earlier, very quiet. That's the temperament. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They're the peacemakers are all about harmony. They, they, you know, they want everybody to get along. Um, so if they have a counter opinion, they're probably, you know, more, more likely than not just to keep it to themselves because they don't want to ruffle those feathers. Uh, and then if you got a really loud, boisterous, strong personality in that group, they're going to be, you know, bulldozing forward and, uh, and then all the quieter ones just going to jump on the bandwagon because they don't want to ruffle feathers. Right. So you, as leaders, we need to manage okay, what's really going on here in this room right now. Do I really have consensus or is everybody caving in because we've got a few, you know, really strong personalities? That's the joy of having learned all of this and being involved in this group is the ability to recognize everyone else's style, where I would have been a little bit automatically intimidated by someone, and that's a trigger. <laughs> I would have just met somebody and had been automatically kind of uh, intimidated by them. Now I can, I see everybody from a, a standoffish kind of thing looking and going, oh, interesting. This person is this and this person is that. And and I find myself, it, it is easier to get along with all of the styles that used to trigger me on, on one side or another. Hmm. And now I can recognize especially a younger me especially a a competitor that is you know bull in a china shop i'm just going to get stuff done and 
who cares about the weather and I don't care about your weekend, you know? And oddly enough, even unaware, I would not recognize myself in someone else. I would just be intimidated by them or think that they're mad at me or they don't like me or, you know, it was all about me. Um, <laughs> they must not like me because they don't say hi. But I didn't say hi either. <laughs> Talk about completely unaware. And now I can recognize a person that, you know, doesn't say hi, that 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 is very brusque and and just goes and gets stuff done. And I go, oh, look, it's a younger me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What a great example, Sue, of uh, of transformation and change over the over the course of the attending here. Now, you know, I, I just noticed a post about you that you won a uh, one of the top uh, sales awards. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I wonder if this training had some impact on that. I think absolutely, because even as I meet people, whether in networking groups or my clients, uh, I am so much better at connecting to all different types. And it's made me have a deeper impact with my relationships in, you know, networking and creating those, those bonds where all of a sudden somebody needs something and they say, you know, Sue's the one you got to go to. So it really has, it, it's affected my personal relationships and my professional relationships. That's wonderful. It's, you know, I'm glad that's, uh, that's, that's what uh, the outcome is for you. Mm -hmm. You started this conversation today by saying you're actually in a good space and, and we appreciate that. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, Sue. It, you know, as you say that, so I think about, and this is a question to all of you is that there's gotta be one person in your organization that you're like, man, they could use some of the self-awareness stuff. You're all going like this. Yeah. <laughs> Just one? Many more than this one. This one was one. Oh so my God. How, okay, so here's a challenge for you. How do you, or how can you get them to start this journey? Remember, you started this journey somehow, somewhere. Something started you to think about this. How do you start them on that journey? You can't tell them, you're not aware, you're, you're this. That's not going to work. We know that. I know we've all tried. It doesn't work. But how do you start that journey for them? You can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make him drink it. <laughs> but if they don't even know there's water. Oh, they know there's water. I mean, I've shown them different pools of water. And, you know, I showed them how to drink water. I showed them what water can do for you, but it's always up to them. So, I, you know, we can give them all these tools, show them the tools, show them the impact it has on, on yourself or on other people. And, you know, like, I, I love that you say that, Sue. Like, yeah, it had an impact on both personal and profession, uh, professional relationships, how you were dealing with those. I mean, I think it's such a great tool, but... You can only do so much, which sometimes is, is extremely frustrating. Mm -hmm. But then you have to live with the fact like, hey, I have tried my best. I have, you know. And so now it's up to them. It, it takes at least two to tango. Ooh. Yeah, I've, I'm in that exact same boat. So what I did was said, you know, wow, I'm, I'm a part of this thing. It's been completely life changing for me. Um, I, I think that this is a person you really need to meet. 
I, I see what you're trying to do with the business. I see your goals and dreams and, and this is, you know, I, I really strongly feel that if you meet this person, this person can really help you get where you want to go. And, uh, you know, he, he met, he talked, he said to me, thank you so much. That was the best thing. Uh, this life-changing person, I feel it. It's the greatest thing. But like Vera said, you can't make them drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's also timing, right? It's also time. So, well, this is true. This is true as well. But, um, you know, everything was there. He was laying down. He, he, he even said, you know, you're so right. This was the greatest meeting ever. And I think part of it is just doing what you're all doing. Right. And, and this is where Licky and I come from. It's like our passion is leadership, but where a lot of leaders have blind spots at the top levels is that they ignore the middle levels, <laughs> right? It's like, it's time to, time to work in invest in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. So it's easy for the, uh, you know, one of the executives to go into the CFO and say, Hey, I need 10 grand for a leadership development thing. I'm going to go do. And they get here. You, here you go. You're good. You know, try a middle-level manager walking in the same office saying, Hey, I need 10 grand for a leadership thing. And be like, what? It's not in the budget. <laughs> get out of here. You know? So, uh, but if we can infiltrate, you know, if you in your workplace, just be the example as yeah. As uh, Gandhi's quote, right? Be the change. I think. I think at some point, the person who doesn't want to drink that water, Vera, uh, how long can they hang around a stable of water drinking horses <laughs> before they finally realize I'm a horse and I need to drink water? Okay. Yeah. Right. At some point, hopefully, it, it makes you know makes a difference. But it's up to them to make that decision that it is mm -hmm. important enough. Right. It's, it's, I always compare it to a, an addiction, somebody who deals with an addiction, as long as they're happy with whatever drug it is that they're taking, you can say whatever you want. They're like, my, my drug makes me happy. Right. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes you can see the shift, right. Where they like theoretically know, yeah, I shouldn't take that drug or do this thing anymore. And I know there's a better world out there and, and I deal with a couple people like that, like they theoretically know, yes, I, I, I need to change. I need to do this, blah, blah, blah. They cannot make that hump because I think, and I mean, that's what I went through when, when, you know, I was married for a long time and, and I couldn't do that either. I just got so stuck because I couldn't see what was on the other side. Mm -hmm. And people were telling me, oh, that was great, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but I just couldn't connect the dot and something happened. And suddenly my eyes opened. I said, oh, I can easily do that. Boom, 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 done. But it was just making that hump. And I see that with people, you know, that we say like, oh, you know, come, you know, do these, do this leadership course. You know, it's great. You can talk, you know. And they're like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I don't have time for that. It's not important. You know, I have other things to do. So as long as it's not the top of their list, they're not going to be here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, two sayings you've probably all heard. When the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? Mm -hmm. And the other one is, uh, until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain mm -hmm. of change. Very much so. Right. 
If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. Kevin, as you say that, you know, one of the things that we're realizing is that the entire great resignation, right, where mm -hmm. people are leaving, people are moving, they're not happy in their workplaces. And we, we started this conversation about psychological safety. If they're not feeling safe in the environment, and that could be in any way, you know, it could be emotional, it could be not belonging, not communicating, whatever that safety zone looks like for them. If they don't feel safe, they're moving, they're leaving, but they just don't communicate why they left. They just keep on moving. And then people wonder, why are we losing all these employees? And some organizations don't even look at why are we losing them? Let's just keep on hiring more people. It's okay. And they're not seeing that cost until it's too late. That's the other leadership blind spot is we're focusing too heavily on recruiting and not retention. Yeah. Right. Gallup's, uh, I was just reading this yesterday, the latest Gallup polls, um, global state of the workplace, 32% of the workforce is engaged. That's not a big number. <laughs> that, that means 49% are not engaged and 19% are actually actively sabotaging the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I heard that about the sabotage, I was I wasn't surprised, but I was shocked that it does happen. It's it's astounding, and that's and so we you know it's like leadership. We keep focusing on let's hire the right people, let's hire the right people, let's find these great people, but let's invest in the people we have. Let's help. The, the uh, one of the examples that Gallup used is let's take a small company with five thousand managers, right? Small in relative terms, but yeah, 5,000 managers and 32% are actually actively engaged. 19% of those 5,000 managers are sabotaging your company. I don't think that by, by saying that, I don't think they're like malicious, vindictive. They're out to destroy intentionally, but they're doing it because they're actively disengaged in the company. And they're, the signals they're sending off to all of their team is, I don't want to be here. Why are you here? Get out of here. So people are leaving. So no wonder we have to recruit because people keep leaving. <laughs> Let's fix that problem. Well, and those are the managers that people are leaving from and not telling anyone why they're leaving. That's right. Those, that's their, and, and so people can't even identify that feeling. Safety is a tricky word for me because it's like, I missed the first part, but it's not physical. I know it's psychological. So not everyone would identify that as a psych, you know, as, as a safety issue, but it's like, you know, I'm not supported here. I don't like it here. I don't, you know, I don't get what I need in terms of, in terms of education and all that stuff. So I'm just going to find somewhere else. and I'm not going to tell that guy that I just gave my two weeks of resignation letter to that. He's an asshole or what? Yeah. I mean, we've got, a, we've got a big insurance company that we're working with and they have huge turnover 
and it's, we know because we're seeing it, it's the managers. It's simply put, it's the managers. They have great benefits, all these other things that we throw money at. But what they're missing in this scenario is they're missing the idea that people are, because what they're doing is they're surveying people when they exit, right? To your point, Joyo. Mm. So HR is getting all these excuses like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, advancing my career and, you know, elsewhere, I'm, I got a better offer somewhere. You know, I, uh, I'm changing directions, going into a different career because nobody wants to tell them the truth. Truth is I couldn't stand my boss. I'm out of here. Right. But that's the time to say it, right? Because you no longer report to them. Yeah, but they're afraid. They, they, even when they exit, they are afraid of the ramifications, right? I don't want that ill will out there. I don't want somebody keeping me from getting another good, you know, you know, resume, you know, or another good job because I've just burnt a bridge. So they're just, they're reserved and holding back. They're like, Oh, I'm just, I'm leaving. And I think they might also feel that they don't owe it to that company, you know, but, it's somebody yeah. let me down. So why would I give them any support? They never asked me while I was there. Yeah. So yeah. why gives them that now you kind of, if it's as bad as, you know, that's what's really making leads, but. Yeah, they won't say it uh, to that person, but interesting enough, the relationship that they build in that organization, they'll definitely tell them. And that's what yes. uh, people start leaving. Mm -hmm. They feel, oh, if they left, okay, maybe I should be doing the same thing. Well, yeah, that's right. I don't get supported this way. And that's what we're trying to stop. Here's a, a small story here. I was working with a uh, fairly well-known restaurant in uh, the Vancouver area. And the owner said, listen, we're, I need some help in sales. Like we're, we need to uh, get some marketing happening. We're just losing business a lot. I sat with him for a couple of hours and I noticed the culture was off. And I said, how many employees have you lost in the last six months? He looks it up because, oh, about 24, 25. I said, 25 employees you've lost. Now imagine those 25 people have parents, have friends that probably came to this restaurant. You just lost 100 people. Keep your employees happy. You'll attract more customers. And he couldn't understand that until I broke it down that way. And then he started shifting. He changed his GM. And now he's thriving because he's taking care of his people and people are showing up. People are happier. This customer service is better. And it's just changing. But he couldn't see it until he got some factual data and breaking it down that way. That's good. The high cost of turnover. Yeah. Sometimes you can think of it as the high hidden cost of turnover. And like you said, they're not really paying attention. No. Look, you're on this journey of self-awareness and you're worrying and watching yourselves and seeing how to manage other people's emotions and triggers as well. And you're on that great path or technology for taking that step. It's a great journey. <laughs> so back to that question, how do you get that one person that's in your organization to say, Yes. So it's a, it's a rhetorical question. I'm going, to give an, I'm going to give you an idea what I've done in the past. Not told them how to change, not told them that they're the problem. I've just shared and been really vulnerable of my change and my shift so they can see it. Um, and it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share. Look, I was an asshole at one point. And, you know, I lost 25 employees in my IT company. And because it was me and this is what I used to do. And 
they're like, oh yeah, that's kind of, I mean, they won't say this to me, but they'll feel it. And then that's how I'm looking at things. So just share, share your, your successes. And of course, give them the link to this program. <laughs> yeah. That's the, uh, that's the cool thing is like you all submit, I think most of you here have been part of this journey with the leadership forum for two, three years hasn't cost a dime, right? But it's a great, great group of people. And, uh, and then there's the, of course, the, the leadership program that we have, the awareness advantage and, you know, that it can lead them to that as well. And they can, uh, they can partake in that and experience a, a very deliberate process where they can become better, become a better manager, better leader, better person, because we all have room to change. And that's the, this is the key. It's like, this is a journey. This is never a destination. I, I love, uh, another quote by, uh, I think it was Alfred Binet. That's not true. It's not Alfred Binet. He was the inventor of the IQ test. Um, who was this? I can't remember the, the, the man's name to give him credit, but he was a sociologist and he said, I divide the world into learners and non-learners, right? So as long as somebody is a learner, they will eventually start to drink the water. They're non-learner. They might not ever drink the water. Who knows? And, and as you see that, Kevin, when you're in survival mode and you're just trying to make ends meet and trying to keep people happy, you're not going to be a learner. You just want to fight fires. Unfortunately, you've got to be the learner at that point. That's when you're going to stop fighting fires, but it's a cash 22 and we know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so back to, um, back to this idea of what can you do rather when you're not feeling completely safe? I wanted to say something uh, to your comment earlier, or earlier, Joyelle, uh, you had, you had triggered this thought. I don't remember exactly what you said, but it triggered the thought of active listening is a big part of this, right? Really? And you, there was a tool, part of active listening that you had brought up and maybe it's the curiosity approach, maybe it's asking questions, probing, well, let me understand. I'm trying to understand your point of view. Let me, let, you know, give me some, shed some more light on this for me. You know, give me some more insights. Yeah. Um, on, I was just sort of thinking about a particular situation triggered, I guess. Um, and, and it was around, yeah, it was around kind of reading the room and, and knowing, feeling some sort of opposition or whatever to what I, to what I was presenting. So then, yeah, getting get going down to the base of what it is that I need to deliver there. Like what, what is it that they've asked of me and just give them that. And yeah, that would come with questions or prior to that, what was it that I was supposed to be presenting sort of get out of the weeds of, you know, flowering it up or, or whatever, and just specifically giving them data, statistics, you know, analytics, um, and, and getting, getting to the point. And I liked Cindy's, um, bottom line up front kind of thing approach when you're feeling like you've got opposition for a reason that you don't know. In my more recent experiences, I've dealt with people who I can now identify as narcissists, which is, which is really challenging because you're never going to change them. They are always right and they, and you are always wrong. So that's, that's another, another approach to that. But I find that even at that point, just giving them facts and being able to you know, to have confidence in those facts and that information is, is what sort of helps get through that. Nice. I love hearing other people's stories about how they're managing things. 
We learn so much from these sessions. You think it's all about you. It's not. It's actually about us. We learn from you. <laughs> Collective brain trust here. We all learn from each other. Exactly. Love it. You mentioned a lot of narcissism. A uh, good friend of mine is a clinical psychologist, and that's her area of specialty is uh, severe personality disorders, psychopaths, sociopaths, narcissists. Um, yeah, clinically diagnosed narcissists. We use the word loosely a lot of times, but uh, she wrote a book and she hasn't published it. And so I was encouraging you got to publish it because just when I heard the title, I'm like, I want that book. It's, she's, it's titled Leading Narcissists. Mm. Right. I mean, who wouldn't want to read that if you're in leadership, right? Uh, leading narcissist. I questioned her about it. She says, yeah, it's not probably what you think because it's written more for other psychologists and professionals and you know, counselors and such. But yeah, but managers and leaders are counselors too sometimes. We need that same information. It almost sounds like contradiction in terms. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Leading narcissists, right? <laughs> And no, we can not read that book. That book is probably full of triggers for me. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing when to walk away from those relationships or those interactions are important too. Like I, a few, a few times over the years, I've had to come home and say to my husband, okay, I've, I've given up that person or my new year's resolution is to, and not, not necessarily that you don't work with that person anymore, but you've got to release yourself from, you know having any emotion to how they react to you or whatever. You can't win in those situations. So gotta be that's that's on them now and it's not on me any sort of your Catholic giving them up for Lent, you know. <laughs> for me it's um I get to a point where I'm like, I have to stop adding fuel to this. You know, because anytime you bring something to them, it's just fuel for them to argue with you more. It, it yeah. never turns it around the other way. So for me, I, I do that same thing. I'm like, okay, no, there's no more fuel there. <laughs> yeah. Just, yep. Just, yeah. Not that you don't do anything, but it's, yeah, you don't add to that situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the trying, you know, in it, mm -hmm. personality would be keep trying to keep trying to find the avenue, find that common ground and all that. And then when you've got to say, okay, that's it. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what the last couple of minutes, what came up for me, Joel, when you said that was you're creating that psychological safety zone for yourself when you're saying, yeah. I'm not going to let that person into my space anymore, which is great. And Cindy, when you were saying what you just did, you know, what comes up for me is that empathy is kind of required on our part. They are who they are. We just have to be empathetic to their past or the, what their worldview was what they were bringing up was, it's not against us. It's who they are. And then looking at it from that lens, you still don't have to be okay with that. You can create your own space at that point. Empathy is really important when it comes to these uh, situations as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I fully knowing agree with that. Run. <laughs> was that it? Knowing when to run. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are almost out of time. Once again, it's been a great conversation. Lots of great tools, tips, strategies around what to do when you're feeling like you're not safe emotionally, psychologically, even physically. And uh, one thing we want to mention just before we wrap up is we do have another couple leadership cohorts starting May 4th, May 11th, um, something like that. So if, uh, if you know anybody, if you know that one person who could actually benefit uh, there's always more than one in every organization, but if you know somebody who's a learner and they want to be the best boss they can possibly be, the best person they can possibly be, have them join us 
have them reach out, you know, connect, lick your eye to them and we'll, uh, we'll have a conversation. So all you have to do is mention us and we'll have a conversation with them and invite them to be part of the, the program that's starting. Until next time, it's been great. You all have a great week. Make it a great week. And we'll see you any Thursday or every Thursday that you have availability for us. Until then, thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.